Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Matt was silent the whole way back to London. Marcus Byron had checked him over before we got in the car and seemed confident that he wasn't injured in any way. We figured he was in shock. Marcus kept to a steady 150 miles an hour along most of the A12 back into London. I have no idea how we weren't stopped or why not a single speed camera flashed us, but I guess that's a perk of being an ex-member of the Department of Works. An hour and 20 minutes later, we were at the Whittington Hospital in North London. Marcus drove us straight to an old Victorian wing of the building, to a unit that is not listed on any of the hospital's directories. Apparently, this unit deals with what Marcus described as esoteric ailments and is therefore off the books. Sorry, you're going to have to wait here. I hadn't expected to ever see Matt again. And then the whole trip down from Suffolk, I was panicked that there was something wrong with him. He seemed almost catatonic. I had no idea what the last two years had done to him mentally, where he'd been, what he'd experienced. Not a lot, as it turns out. That's the weird thing, isn't it? As far as I'm concerned, nothing's happened. And you have no memory whatsoever of all that time? I lost nearly three years in the blink of an eye. One minute I was in that church in Pleasant Green, trying to stop Obed Marsh and the others sending you into God knows where. And then there's a flash of light... And when I open my eyes, I'm lying in a field. I was aware of that, of where I was. But I felt absolutely fine, like I'd, like I'd just had a really good sleep. I knew I needed to get up and move. I remember thinking I really should make contact with people. And then the next thing I know, it's like I fell asleep again and, and woke up in hospital. Except you didn't. No. You walked from wherever you were to right where we were. And I have no memory of that. And I couldn't have known you'd be there, could I? The conversation you're hearing between me and Kennedy took place the day after she and Marcus Byron took me to the Whittington Hospital. The doctors there had checked me over thoroughly and given me a clean bill of health. They'd run MRIs, CT scans, the works. I'd been missing since April 2020. I had no memory of the intervening time whatsoever. But no ill effects. Well, apart from one strange thing. You're left-handed now? (laughs) Yeah. It's quite odd, isn't it? It's really odd. And they don't know why? No, they don't. They don't seem to be terribly worried about it. It is strange for me. But it's not like I've had to learn how to make my left hand dominant. It just seems to have happened. It's it's like I've always been left-handed, except I know I haven't. Maybe your memory will come back. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping not. Whatever I experienced, I suspect it wasn't a lot of fun. So, apparently we're looking for a notebook... Uh, oh, you want to jump straight back in? Uh, no, not necessarily. I'm just... Well, I'm, I'm discombobulated, I suppose. I don't really know what to do if we're not doing this. But I'm also aware that the last time we sat down and talked, you were thinking about quitting. I was, yeah. And then that stopped being an option when you vanished. And then it became an option again when it looked like you weren't coming back. But a lot has happened in three years. The last few weeks, I'd finally resigned myself to doing something else, but I hadn't really figured out what. And then Marcus Byron came along and said Parker was looking for the Blake notebook, so... Kennedy had called me up on the ins and outs of the Robert Blake notebook and the tie-in through Philip Gibson to the whole Joseph Kerwin business. I'd also listened to the rough cuts of the two episodes she'd made about it so far. Oh, they're kind of a mess. No, no, I like them. I'm not as good at the editorial side as you are. And I really hate the software. (laughs) Also, I don't know if it goes anywhere. 
You heard it. We'd pretty much hit a brick wall just at the point where you reappeared. But I think there's something there. Okay, here's my thinking. Someone is trying to get hold of that notebook, and it looks like they already killed poor Theo Martin because they thought he had it. We don't know what's in the notebook or why they want it. But over the last few years, these people have cropped up over and over again. The Tillingas, the Marshes, all these establishment figures who are clearly up to no good. And as Eleanor has said, they're trying to gain power and influence. And they seem to either not know or not care about the consequences of their actions. Now they've managed to shut down the Department of Works, and that means that basically no one is standing against them anymore. Are you about to launch into a Braveheart speech? (laughs) We have an audience now. Had. I mean, it's been three years. And I think they're still there. And I think we can build it back up. We've both been through some stuff. And so walking away is definitely something to be considered. We could absolutely just pack it all up and do something else. Or? I think I want to start naming some names. I want to figure out what is happening and why and who these people are lurking in the shadows. I want to shine a really bright light on them. Okay, but naming names is a legal nightmare, isn't it? Especially if this thing ends up going out on Radio 4 as well. I've just lost three years of my life. I'm pretty sure wherever I was, it was a lot worse than being in a courtroom. You want to cause some trouble. I really want to cause some trouble. Thanks so much for coming in. I'm sorry to change the venue at the last minute, but we have a big presentation later on today and I didn't want to leave the office while we're still getting stuff ready. This is Caroline Morse. She runs something called the Corinius Institute, which is a kind of policy unit slash think tank slash lobbying firm in the city of London. At the risk of sounding like a stalker, I'm a massive fan of your show. (laughs) Really? Oh, God, absolutely. Not to say I fell for it or anything. I mean, Matthew Hayward is right here in my office, so clearly, you know... You're here. You didn't get sucked into another dimension or anything. Well, it's been a, an interesting few years, so... Uh... Is Eleanor Peck coming? I sort no, of... No, she's, she's not. Oh, no, right, right. She's just so funny, isn't she? To understand why we're meeting with Caroline, you have to crawl along the branches of yet another family tree. OK, so this guy, Ernest Gladwin. Kennedy and I had left the studio and headed across the road for coffee. My first latte in three years. Gladwin's the head of this Church of Starry Wisdom in the 1930s. The Nazis. Well, yeah, British fascists. I don't know if they'd have called themselves Nazis at this point, but they were definitely Hitler fanboys. Gladwin is one of the guys Robert Blake was trying to expose after the war, when the fascists were supposed to have been dealt with. But Gladwin just went back into the shadows. Right. So Ernest Gladwin has two daughters, Emily and Elizabeth. Emily gets mixed up with Joseph Kerwin, ends up having his child. And that child is Philip Gibson. Right. Gibson is dead, or missing... Everyone else on that side of the family seems to have gone the same way. Destiny Fenner, Theo Martin, obviously, his mom. His Aunt Laura is still around, but she doesn't seem to be connected to anything. But if we go back up the tree and then across, there's Ernest Gladwin's other daughter, Emily Gladwin's sister. Elizabeth. Yeah. Now, Elizabeth Gladwin married a guy called Roderick Ashton Heath. Of course she did. Wait. Ashton Heath, as in... Yes. As in Wilberforce Ashton Heath, the right-wing Tory MP. The anti-immigration, anti-vax, rabid Brexiteer guy. He's Elizabeth Gladwin's son and Emily Gladwin's nephew. Oh, so, Wilberforce Ashton Heath, who seems reasonably likely to be the next leader of the party, has a granddad... Who was a Nazi wizard, yeah. How is that not common knowledge? (laughs) Well, I guess Robert Blake would have had an answer for that. 
He seems to have spent his whole life trying to expose these people, and they still manage to remain in the shadows. If someone is after Robert Blake's notebook, maybe it's because Blake had the dirt on Ernest Gladwin. And someone like Wilberforce Ashton, he doesn't need any skeletons falling out of the closet just as he's being tipped for leadership. Exactly. And I checked in with Marcus Byron, and he told me that Wilberforce Ashton Heath was the one putting pressure on the government to shut down the Department of Works. So, if we're looking for an establishment figure who's pulling all the strings... Our man Wilberforce fits the bill. Okay. So, how do we get to him? We don't. But his sister is happy to talk to us. What does she do? Run the Ku Klux Klan? Actually, she runs something called the Corineus or Corineus Institute, whatever. It's some kind of financial think tank. And she famously hates her brother's guts. Oh, Billy's a dickhead. Always has been. Do you believe families can be cursed? Of course you do, making a show like yours. I suppose you have to believe six impossible things before breakfast. <laughs> well, my family's curse is history. How so? Fascism. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. You're not here because you're interested in the finer workings of the Corinius Institute. Uh, well, we're not, not interested. That's only because you don't know what we do. <laughs> it's economics, cultural ethics, international relations, dull stuff to an outsider. Or to an insider. Pays the bills. But no human sacrifices or aliens, I'm afraid. We are here to talk about your grandfather. Bingo. And a good shout on your part. I mean, actual loony tunes. I can't shed a lot of light personally because he died when I was nine years old, but I've heard the family stories. He was friends with Oswald Mosley. He was. All that crowd. And from what I gather, Mosley was far from the worst. William Joyce, Henry Hamilton Beamish, Arnold Lease, Archibald Moore Ramsey, A.K. Chesterton. You're okay to talk about this on tape? I mean, I don't love talking about it. Just because of it. your position with the My Institute. grandfather was a fascist, Miss Fisher. Can I call you Kennedy? Of course. So Grandpa was a fascist. There's one entire branch of my family that was into prancing around in the woods, worshipping whatever. And I have a brother who apparently thinks COVID was some kind of libtard hoax. The only way I get to distance myself from all of that nonsense is to talk openly about it. As I see it, the second I get cagey, it starts to look like the apple didn't fall far from the tree after all. Well, it sounds like it did. Thank you. God, I hope so. I'll tell you anything you want to know, but as I say, I was nine years old when Ernest Gladwin died, so... But you knew his daughter, your Aunt Emily. I did. Not during her hippie witch phase. I wasn't born then. By the time I was aware of her, she was actually pretty ordinary. And her son, Philip Gibson? I mean, vague memories of him as a kid. I was five years younger than him. And then later I saw him at weddings and funerals, but he seemed odd. Odd how? I suppose you'd say he was in the family business by then. Not the Nazi stuff, but the whole occult thing. And it's just a catalogue of misfortune on that side of the family. There's not a lot of people dying of old age. And you've heard about Theo Martin. Who's that? Uh, that would be Philip's grandson. Right. Ooh, I'm confused and it's my family. can only imagine how bewildering all this must be to your poor listeners. I think I knew that Philip had a daughter. I never met her. This is her son? Yeah, he died recently. Oh, okay. Oh, that's sad. I'm... I don't really know how to feel about that. Well, it's a, it's a different branch of a big family. It is. And for obvious reasons, I don't tend to go to too many family get-togethers. So going back to your grandfather, Ernest Gladwin... The Grand Wizard. Is that an official I, title? No, I don't... <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. He went to Hitler's birthday parade. Did you know that? Your grandfather? Yeah, Hitler's 50th. Both my grandparents. And this guy, Major General J.F.C. Fuller, who is another one of the big Nazi sympathisers. My grandparents loved Berlin. They honeymooned there in 1931. With Crowley. Alistair Crowley. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. 
Yeah, with Alistair Crowley. I don't know if Crowley was a Nazi or not. No one seems very clear on that. I think he was working for MI6 for a while. Well, then maybe he was informing on my grandparents. My grandfather was an acolyte of his for a while. They were in Paris together in the 20s. When in the 20s? I don't know. Is it important? I'm not sure. Maybe it's a coincidence. Did he know a guy called Obed Marsh? Obed Marsh? As in... Is Obed Marsh a real person? He is. Oh, okay. I assume that... I suppose I'm not really clear on the line between fact and fiction in your show. Anyway, no. I don't know if he knew Obed Marsh. There was some big hoo-ha. I remember my grandma talking about it. A big falling out between the acolytes in Paris. Specifically my grandfather and a chap called Edwin. Lillybridge? Lillybridge. Yeah, that's it. Funny name, isn't it? Is this the name I should know? He came up while you were away. I'll catch you up. Well, they had some massive argument in Paris, my grandfather and this Lillibridge chap. They seemed to have been mortal enemies from then on. Lillibridge became a Fleet Street hack of some kind in the 1930s. Rumour has it he was continually writing hit pieces about Grandpa and his mad cult. And it was all Grandpa could do to get the things spiked before they saw the light of day. And so to the mad cult. Ah, yes. The Church of Starry Wisdom. Two lunatic ideas somehow jammed together in a failed attempt at coherence. Two ideas. Well, yeah. The whole woo occult nonsense on the one hand, and then the anti-Semitic fascist thing on the other. I suspect this was the source of Lillibridge falling out with Grandpa. They both adored Crowley, so one assumes Lillibridge was on board with all the drugs and the sex magic. So I suppose he must have been less keen on Grandpa's anti-Semitism. Uh, and how were these two ideas combined? Well, it's a bit like the Nazis being into their Norse mythology, isn't it? Grandpa apparently had this notion. There was some kind of Arthurian spirit of old England, some sort of nationalist mythological nightmare, all to do with purity and being a true Briton and all that stuff. I mean, horribly racist, even by the standards of the time. It was blood and thunder, blighty stuff about repelling invaders and England for the English and all that bollocks. The Church of Starry Wisdom codified it all. It was a new religion based on nationalist ideals. Luckily, it didn't catch on. Grandpa got locked up with all the others during the war and they only let him out again when he promised to be a good boy. And was he a good boy after that? Oh, God, no. He started right up where he left off. In and out of all those fascist groups that sprang back up in the 50s. He was active in the movement all the way through to when he died in 1977. Perfectly pleasant man, as I recall. Loved gardening, loved animals... Deranged fascists. There's remarkably little information. I mean, given how prominent Ernest Gladwin was in the right-wing movement, I'm not surprised his occult activities haven't really come to light, but your brother is an MP. His granddad was a notorious fascist. He was at Hitler's birthday parade. I, I haven't seen that connection made anywhere. Good PR. Exactly right. My brother may be a dickhead, but he has some very good people controlling his press. Just like my grandfather did. And don't forget that Billy isn't obviously a Gladwin. Our father was Roderick Ashton Heath. That's a much more respectable family name, a historical family with connections to royalty. That provides a lot of cover, just like having a hundred million pound war chest and a team of rabid libel lawyers does. You know who Billy's married to, right? I... Well, I've, I've seen photographs, I think. It's OK. That's the point. Even you two haven't stumbled onto Billy until now. His wife, Leslie, remarkably nice. But her maiden name is Tillingast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the look on your faces. Yeah, 
She's the Godfrey Tillinghast's daughter. So a sitting MP, a high-ranking member of the government. Tipped to be the next leader of the party. His grandpa was a fascist wizard. And he's married into the Tillinghast family. For clarity, I'm not accusing my brother of anything other than being a dickhead. But it's an example of hiding in plain sight, right? Try writing about that and see what happens. I suspect you'll have problems even broadcasting this conversation. This is what your Edwin Lillibridge in the 1930s had to contend with. And then the poor guy who came after him. What guy? Oh, another hack. Worked with Lillibridge and then, after the war, he picked up the torch on his own. Determined to out-grandpa as, you know, an enemy of the state and what have you. My grandmother couldn't bear him. Blake. That's it. Blake. Robert Blake. That's the badger. Whatever happened to him, I wonder? Has your brother mentioned his name recently? To me? I shouldn't think so. We really don't talk. He's not still around, is he? Blake? He died in 1987. Oh, okay. Although... What? No, it's probably me picking up Fagan's gossip. You know, that's the fuel that powers this place most of the time. Gossip about Robert Blake? Well, I suppose sort of. Woman called Diane Netley. Do you know her? No, I don't think so. Well, she's apparently been in touch with my brother's people recently because she's some information she claims could scupper Billy's career. You mean blackmail? She's not asking for money, which is what makes it strange. What does she want? Her husband is ill, as I understand it, and Diane Netley has got it into her head that Billy can cure him. Cure him how? With magic, apparently, which gives you some idea of how crackers poor Diane must be. But the reason I bring it up This information Diane Netley has was apparently given to her by Robert Blake. It was about 2.30 in the morning. And every time in that moment of waking... I would see the man standing in the corner. It's here. Uncanny. Season three. She was just walking, non-responsive, without talking, without blinking. It seemed like something has just taken over. Terrifying real-life encounters with the supernatural. What I saw in that house frightens me, and I wish I'd never seen it. Listen on BBC Sounds, if you dare. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.